Good to have you back. The Bill Michaels Show. Final hour on this Thursday, but uh, glad you're with us. I, um, I wanted to ask you about uh, the awards, the end of the season awards. And I, I got a couple of emails. And I got one from Mark. Mark says, can you believe it? Not one damn Packer on the awards list. The way the season ended, I thought for sure you'd have a couple of players, including Aaron Jones. This is disgusting. The NFL is fixed. Uh, This one's from Marcy, who says, I can't believe Matt LaFleur did not make it on the AP finalist for the Coach of the Year Award. Matt LaFleur did an amazing job holding everything together. Why is he not there? Um, Look, here. let me go through this, okay? And you tell me who guys should knock off. Okay, uh, the AP most valuable player of the year. We all we all go through this list. Okay, uh, and this was voted on, by the way, before the playoffs started. It's right after the last game is played of Week 17, and everything gets voted on. Okay, so this does not include or count for anything via the postseason. Remember, so you've got Josh Allen, Lamar Jackson, Christian McCaffrey. Dak Prescott, and Brock Purdy. Everybody assumes it's going to be Lamar Jackson with the year that he had. He had an amazing year. Christian McCaffrey was just, uh, he was an offensive juggernaut. Dak Prescott had a really good season and was in the discussion, but I don't think Dak's going to win it. Brock Purdy's numbers were amazing. But if you really had to come down to it, I mean, Josh Allen, with what they did winning out to win the division and the stretch run they had, he he was amazing. But there's too much in between. I mean, Lamar Jackson was solid 95% of the season. Christian McCaffrey was solid 95% of the season. Josh Allen, eh, he, he was great for maybe 10 games. You know, Dak Prescott was good all season long, but it's Dak. And I I don't think anybody really believes that Dak is worthy of an MVP at this point. And then there's Brock Purdy, where I think a lot of people are going to look at Brock Purdy and go, okay, can you do it again next year? And then you're really, truly in the running. But the year that Lamar Jackson had is is unbelievable. He just, he deserves it. He deserves it. So, but tell me, who who are you going to knock out of that list for, say, Jordan Love? And remember, there was a period of time where Jordan Love, they were, I mean, he was listed at midway through the season as the most, by ESPN and Dan Orlovsky, as the most disappointing player at the halfway point. Now, granted, he turned it on at the end, absolutely. And the numbers skyrocketed. But he didn't end up in the top two or three category-wise. He was near top ten. Now you go to the AP Coach of the Year. So if you think Matt LaFleur did a good job, that's great. But take a listen. Dan Campbell, he's got his team in an NFC Championship game. Right? He had a hell of a season. John Harbaugh, the Ravens were the, the, the class of all. Dominant. D'Amico Ryans, the Houston Texans. Houston was irrelevant last year. They were a joke. And next thing you know, you find yourself in the postseason. D'Amico Ryans, I think, you know, look, you can say Dan Campbell, absolutely. John Harbaugh, there's a lot of 
qualified people. Kyle Shanahan of the 49ers did it now back-to-back. The best team in the NFC. And then there's Kevin Stefanski. And you're like, what? Wait, what? Cleveland ended up in the postseason. And he did it with numerous quarterbacks. I mean, he had that defense on point, and then he did it with numerous quarterbacks. I get that people think Matt LaFleur maybe deserves to be there, but not this year. Who are you going to knock out? I mean, I'd, I'd take out Kyle Shanahan. I, Would I, you? I, yeah, I know he's the one seed, but they were expected. They, they were the odds-on favorite to be the best team in the NFC. So if it's an achievement award, yeah, his, his team achieved the most. But relative to expectation, I I would take out Shanahan. I'm not like super offended that he's there instead of Matt Lafleur. But D'Amico Ryan's and Matt Lafleur are kind of one in the same, right? If you put one in there, don't you kind of have to recognize the other because they took pretty similar teams to a pretty similar spot? You know, but Houston did it with a lot of no names. I mean, the Packers changed out some wide receivers and their quarterback. Now, I, don't get me wrong, that was a huge deal, but you're kind of penalizing Kyle Shanahan for the Phil Jackson reason. You know what I mean? Yeah. You're, you're penalizing him because he's got talent. Mm-hmm. And is the talent that good or did he – I mean, he made Brock Purdy, Mr. Irrelevant, relevant. I, you know, so I, I, don't, I don't know if – I get it. I mean, you, you certainly could do it. I, I understand the logic. I mean, Brock – I just don't Brock, know if I would. Brock Purdy and Christian McCaffrey are both MVP candidates. So right. – does Kyle Shanahan get credit for Brock Purdy or does Brock Purdy, right? You can walk yourself in circles. Again, I'm not offended that Kyle Shanahan is in there, but I think you could reasonably argue that Shanahan performed expectation and Matt LaFleur wildly outperformed expectation. And I think that's part of this. Um, There's quite a few coaches. I mean, look, Mike McCarthy's not there. And look at the job they did. You know what he did with the Cowboys to, to kind of keep it all together, put it back on the track and end up winning the division. You know, um, as the two seed, you, God, you think about so many different coaching jobs that, that were done this year. Look at what Zach Taylor did with Jake Browning after, after Jackpot Joey went down, down in Cincinnati. He had a hell of a season just to come close to getting into the post. Mike Tomlin, Mike Tomlin didn't have a quarterback. He did it with deep, Mike Tomlin's not there. And they found themselves in the postseason. So I, I, you, you can, yeah, I would agree with that. You can probably mix and match and change some of those out. Um, they do the assistant coach of the year and all that kind of stuff. Then the offensive player of the year. So if Lamar Jackson wins the MVP, he's the MVP. He probably won't win the AP player of the year, the offensive player of the year. That would then be Tariq Hill, who had an incredible season. Uh, there's Lamar Jackson, C.D. Lamb of the Cowboys, Christian McCaffrey of the 49ers, Dak Prescott of the Dallas Cowboys. My guess is this. Lamar Jackson wins the uh, AP Player of the Year, and the Offensive Player of the Year probably goes to Tariq Hill. It's either Tariq Hill or Christian McCaffrey, one of those two guys. The uh, AP Defensive Player of the Year, uh, Deron Bland of the Cowboys, Max Crosby of the Raiders, Miles Garrett of Cleveland, Micah Parsons of Dallas, and then there's T.J. Watt of Pittsburgh. Who would you choose in that bunch? You would, because Micah Parsons was all that in a bag of chips early on in the season, and he was even being talked about being an MVP, and then kind of tailed off. The guy that was consistently pressuring pressuring quarterbacks, either you know, you got Max Crosby, uh, Miles Garrett, and T.J. Watt. I'd probably go with T.J. Watt. 
as the defensive player of the year. Would you do that? Would you go in that direction? Or do you think that uh, there's somebody else that belongs there? I'd probably give it to Miles Garrett over TJ Watt just because yeah. I, th- I think he did more for his team. I mean, you can approach these arguments dozens of different ways. So it's yeah. it's really semantics. But I think Miles Garrett did more for his team and his team did more than TJ Watt's yep. team did. Now, here's the AP Comeback Player of the Year candidates. One of them is the sentimental favorite, but really doesn't belong there when it comes to playing the field. And you'll, you'll understand it when I mention these names. Joe Flacco of the Cleveland Browns. Baker Mayfield, Tampa Bay. Matthew Stafford of the Rams. Tua of Miami. And DeMar Hamlin of Buffalo. DeMar Hamlin is there because of what happened to him. And we saw that man die on the field last year. And he came back. He was a healthy scratch in a lot of games. Um, they did work him in. He did play. And it's an amazing story. So if there's anybody that deserves some kind of a, a resuscitation uh, award, uh, not only for comeback player of the year, but maybe for for comeback, uh, you know, from the dead, it's Demar Hamlin. But he didn't statistically have the season that Joe Flacco did, that Baker Mayfield did, that Matthew Stafford did, that Tua did. So as much as I would love to say what an incredible story Demar Hamlin has been, I don't know if I can go in that direction. Who would you take out of that bunch? Hmm. If we're talking about quality of play, I, I mean, Matthew Stafford was unbelievable this year with yeah. a team that not a lot of people expected to do very much. We kind of left the Rams for dead last year. So at first blush, I thought Stafford, but Baker was also awesome. Yeah, he he won a playoff say, game. Baker Mayfield. Yeah. So Baker maybe Mayfield Baker or Stafford. Yeah. But you got to look at it in the regular season because they, they vote before they, anybody ever knows what happens in the postseason. But I would probably say either Joe Flacco or Baker Mayfield. Um, with the speed and what the, the Tua is an incredible story, but he's going to get penalized because Tariq Hill was so phenomenal and ever Waddle was so phenomenal and all the, the, the weapons they had there were just that good. And it's the old chicken or egg. Was it because Tua was that good and they were that good or was, were they that good that made Tua that much better? So I, but I, I'm going to say either Joe Flacco or Baker Mayfield, one of those two, one of those two guys are probably going to win the comeback player of the year, the offensive rookie of the year. Um, there's CJ Stroud, who I think he wins it hands down. Bijan Robinson out of Atlanta, who we saw up close and personal. Puka Nakua had an incredible start to his uh, career with Matthew Stafford out there in the Rams. Sam Laporta uh, of the Lions and Jameer Gibbs of the Lions. Now, Jameer Gibbs split time with David Montgomery. So I don't think he's going to win it. I, I think it's CJ Stroud for what he did, the revitalization of the Houston Texans. I, I I think it's C.J. Stroud, hands down. Hands down. He wins the uh, the AP Offensive Rookie of the Year. Would you agree with that? Yeah, uh, hands down. I would have liked to see what Bajan Robinson's stats would have looked like this year if Arthur Smith actually would have used him the way that most right? people expected him. I, I'm not saying he would have been Rookie of the Year, but I feel like we were yeah. robbed with what maybe could have been one of the all-time great seasons from a rookie, but Arthur Smith uh-huh. just wasn't having it. Yep, completely agree with that. And then the uh, defensive, AP Rookie Defensive of the Year, Defensive Player of the Year, uh, Will Anderson of Houston, Jalen Carter of Philadelphia, Joey Porter Jr. of Pittsburgh, and if, if I had a vote, he'd get my vote. Uh, there's Kobe Turner from the Rams and Devon Witherspoon out of Seattle. Now, I have to admit, I didn't see a ton of Devon Witherspoon. Um, I, 
just didn't. I just I, I, I looked at some highlight stuff that the that the NFL sends out with all of that to to us in the media. Uh, and tremendous season. But if I had to pick anybody, it'd be Joey Porter Jr. I, I think he was integral to uh, helping the back end uh, of that team. So uh, the defensive side of that football and helping T.J. Watt and company because that's the way they won ball games was via turnovers. But that's who I'd go with. Who would you go with? Hmm. That's a really tough one. I don't know that I can give you a good answer. I don't know that I'm educated enough on it. Um, <laughs> I mean, Will, An- Will Anderson, it would be kind of cool to have both offensive and defensive rookie of the year down in Houston. That'd be a cool story. But yeah. I-, I don't I don't know much about evaluating those guys. I'm probably not equipped to give the best answer. Yeah. Yeah. Just looking at the names, I mean, and, and don't get me wrong. I mean, uh, there's, you know, Jalen Carter, who is a guy that uh, a lot of people were talking about this season. Uh, but I, I just – you know, man, oh, man. So, and, and he, Philadelphia had the, – the problem with Philadelphia and Jalen Carter is watching that team get beat in the – they were 10-1. and one. And then watching that team get beat at the end of the season the way they did, I wonder how much that's going to affect him. Because Jalen Carter had a hell of a year. Had a hell of a year. But, I, I'm, I, I mean, if it was me, I'd probably go with Joey Porter Jr., but I don't think you can go wrong with any one of those guys. But – that's just kind of it. That's that's all the names. So when people say, you know, oh my God, I can't believe there's not, there aren't any Packers there. The Packers didn't have a player of the year, coach of the year worthy season, did they? Is there anybody that you can think of that would be better out of the Green Bay Packers than the list we just read? No, and I and I think I, it's it's the same thing we said with Pro Bowlers. It makes sense why they didn't have a Pro right. Bowler, right? Their defense didn't have a star, and on the offense, it was somebody different every week. Yep. That's just it. I, I 100% agree with you. 100% agree. So it's just, it, you know, it's kind of food for thought, but, um, you know, wanted to, wanted to get it out there. Uh, so that's running through the, uh, the AP awards as the NFL will have the awards banquet on Thursday night, the night, uh, Thursday night before Super Bowl. So there you go. Uh, when we come back, J.R. Radcliffe, uh, the Journal Sentinel, he's going to join us. We'll talk with him. Uh, about this Brewers team, and we'll go over to a little Brewers baseball. Maybe maybe you think a, a little bit warmer thoughts, but we'll talk a little Brewers baseball when we come back. Don't go anywhere. We've got a whole lot more coming up right after this. Ready? This is the Bill Michael Show on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network. Welcome back to the program. Good to have you on board. Thanks as always. We certainly appreciate you being here and hanging out with us on this Thursday, Thursday edition of the Bill Michael Show. Good, good stuff. Uh, bring him in now. John Radcliffe uh, covering the Milwaukee Brewers. Talking about Brewers. Brewers sign a first baseman. And, um, well, you know, we'll see if they're done. JR, how you been, man? Hey, I've been great. How are you doing? We're doing well. Uh, we're excited, obviously, uh, for the first time in a while. You believe that uh, the Brewers have a legit first baseman. Give me your uh, thoughts first and foremost of the Hoskins signing. 
Yeah, I think it is the the first legit first baseman in a while. You know, he's got some really impressive numbers. He hits left-handed pitching really, really well. He's had success at American Family Field. It's only like nine games, so take that for what it's worth, but still an encouraging sign. He's he's exactly what they needed, and he was. I, I mean, this is arguable, like, maybe, but like he was the best first baseman on the market. You know, when's the last time? the Brewers really went after the best available guy at any position in the free agent market. You know, they haven't given right. out a deal this expensive since Lorenzo Cain in 2018. That's the last time they gave out a deal that was worth $32 million or more. So this is an unusual step for them. And he is coming off an ACL injury. So missing all of last year, that probably drops his price a little bit, but this is a, this is a hit for them. Like that's, that's exactly what they needed. Corner infield is, definitely an area they needed to improve they had no obvious options at first base so you knew they were going to get somebody but I, I didn't imagine it'd be Reese Hoskins or at least I, I I guess I hoped it would be that's that's just the ideal fit for them and uh, I just didn't think that they would pony up for it so this is a really encouraging move for for the Milwaukee Brewers what else do they need to do I mean I guess it depends who you ask you know they I still think third base is is still an area where they could upgrade. I mean, Matt Chapman is out there if they want to if they want to go all in, which would be wild. Uh, there, he's probably the best third baseman available. I don't know. He's probably going to command a price they're not going to want to pay. Um, that, it, right now, third base is a question mark. You know, you've got Andre Monasterio, Tyler Black is is a name you hear a lot. He's a guy who is not yet on the forty man roster prospect who will be here at some point, but I don't know if he makes the opening day roster. They don't, they don't they don't have enough power hitters. <laughs> I mean, Reese Hoskins is a huge right. help in that regard, but they need those guys who can mash. Because right now, especially with Bryce Terang, if you're committed to him as one of your middle infielders, you're not going to get a lot of power out of that spot. And and they've got Contreras, so they're good at catcher. They got a million outfielders, so they're going to figure out what works out there. But uh, but their base is is a, is a hole in my mind. So if they can if they can address that, I mean, it's going to be it's going to be a grand slam offseason. It's going to be a uh, absolute you know really exciting spring training when we get there. Matt Chapman, by the way, answers all the questions. He gives you the pop. He gives you the power. Uh, I mean, I know there's the possibility of him returning and going to the Blue Jays and such, but uh, that would be – what What would do you think he would be getting uh, via via payroll? Yeah, I, I'm not sure. It, 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 would pro- it would probably almost have to be like a four-year deal or more, and I, that's just going to be not something the Brewers are interested in. They They have operated – you know, forget even the money. It's it's the length. Like they've they've operated in this space where they do not give out multi-year deals. You know, there have been right. since Lorenzo Cain before before Hoskins, and even Hoskins has an opt-out, which favors the player more than the team. But they they'd only given out four multi-year deals from 2018 to now. They just don't do that. Um, and especially if they've already given out one, I'm not sure they're going to be ready to do uh, do another one. And they do have guys. You know, like filtering up through the system who they might be able to rely on offensively. So they probably just don't want to commit any length of time to one guy, knowing that they've got, eventually they're going to have options there from their own system. So that's, that's the thing money-wise. I I don't even know what Chapman's at because it's taken so long for this market to materialize. You know, maybe that's like a four year, 65 to $80 million deal. Uh, I'm not even sure. I'm just spitballing, but probably not something the Brewers are going to want to do. Yeah, it's uh, it's interesting because he's got pop. A couple of years ago, he was well over 25 home runs, I think. Uh, this past year, he struggled a little bit. And 
maybe that's the reason that the market hasn't figured out what his actual value is. Because if you go by the numbers he had, the pop he had a couple of years ago, he's got great pop, but he didn't hit for average. This past year, his average was better, but his power numbers were down. So I, I don't know what uh, a guy like that would get. And here's the other question. Do you want a guy that's kind of the, the all-or-nothing guy? Uh, because you're going to get pop on your corners now. But if he's the all-or-nothing guy, then you're right back into the same boat you just got out of where you didn't have a lot of guys, and I hate to say hit for average or have OPS, but you didn't hit for average. You didn't have a lot of guys getting on base. It was, again, all-or-nothing in this for this team last year, you know? I, and I think that's what makes Hoskins kind of unique. He he isn't – basically, you're not going to find a power guy who's also an average guy other than, like, the top, you know, 1% of players – but he does get on base, you know, like he, for, for a guy who swings for the fences a lot, he doesn't swing outside the zone a lot. He doesn't, he's, he's really good. He's got a great command of the strike zone. So that's a really huge benefit here too. He really does check all the boxes. Now, the one thing you can say about Hoskins is that defensively he's, he's okay. He's fine. Right. Um, he's not, he's not a world beater that way. And, and the Brewers have really emphasized defense. I think it's a way for them to save money, but it also has borne out as a way to have success. You know, even without these powerhouse offenses the last few years, they've had playoff caliber teams, and it's because their defense has been so good, and it's made their pitching staff that much better. Um, so I don't know if they would even be thinking offense first at third base when when they have put such an emphasis on on defense. I mean, that's more for the middle guys, you know, shortstop, second base, center field catcher. Like th- those are those are the bigger concerns, obviously defensively, but. Uh, but that is that is, seems to be how the Brewers are operating at the moment. So let me ask you this. Uh, the pitching staff is where it's all important. Last year they had a depth, a plethora of starting pitcher and, pitchers and guys that could get it done. Give me your thoughts this year on what it is they have going into the season and how deep are they actually? I mean, I think it's about the same. They don't have Brandon Woodruff. That's a huge difference maker. They didn't really have him last year either. We just didn't know that at this time last year where he ends up only throwing 11 starts, 11 very good starts this season. But that's what they're missing. They're missing that extra difference maker in the, in the, in the pitching rotation. You know, you might even see, though, Freddie Peralta take yet another sort of step forward and, and see him kind of, at the very least, maintain his status as sort of a, a co-ace or an ace potential type guy. You've got Corbin Burns. And then you do have those depth guys, you know, and a couple younger guys like Robert Gasser, who I do think is going to be contributing very early on in the season. He's a left-hander who came over in the Josh Hader trade a couple of years ago. Uh, Jacob Mizorowski is one of their top prospects. He's a very exciting electric arm. Doesn't have quite the control you need yet to be a big leaguer, but he's really close. And it wouldn't surprise me to see him this season at some point. And then you, all, you, you brought Wade Miley back, who is so reliable. Like people don't even know mm-hmm. how reliable that guy is. He's so valuable. Colin Ray, no one's going to get excited about Colin Ray, but he, he does give you he does give you something, you know, some depth. And uh, was was fine at points last year, so um, you can't really feel bad about too badly about that. I mean, they, they do have they do have those options again. They do have depth. You know, my concern would be okay, well, but but you don't have that Brandon Woodruff feeling out of anybody else. You know, so, so right. you're going to have to you know maybe Ashby comes back healthy and can be that type of guy, but they they are missing sort of that third great hammer arm that you, you could sort of rely on going into last season. With, you know, Christian Yelich having a little bit of a bounce back year, Contreras, uh, really, I to me, I thought, what an incredible surprise and an incredible get behind the plate. Sal Freelich came up and had success. You now have Hoskins over at first. Adamas, not a trade market for him, and hopefully he has a bounce back season. But up the gut, you are really strong with Bryce Terang 
and uh, and Willie Adamas, and then obviously your center field position, uh, depending on who you throw out there and what day it is. But you got Jackson Churio, obviously. But is this team stronger? Are they better this year, or do you, you know are they capable of ninety two wins? I guess is the best way to put it. Some of this is to be determined by what roster moves are still to come. You know, like I said, the market is so late developing and the Brewers are always involved in those first couple weeks of spring training anyway. You know, it's when, when they signed Brian Anderson and Andrew McCutcheon yeah. and, and uh, Jackie Bradley Jr. Like those moves didn't necessarily work out, but there's still some additions to be had here, I think. So it's a little, it's, a, it's always a little hard in January to really get a good perspective. I do think they have that in them. Yeah, I think they can, they can run it back to 92 wins again, or, or at least threaten that. They certainly have that opportunity in the division, which is not at this point not markedly better than it was last year. So I mean, teams, teams added guys, but like there's, there's no one team in this league that you're like, well, the Brewers aren't going to catch that team. That's, that's not the right. case. The Brewers are still going to be the favorite. So I, I do think they're, they're okay. And if they add one more big bat, you know, big bat in quotes, but if they, if they add one more guy that you can rely on offensively, then I think they're going to be in great, great shape. Not to mention that because they still have all these outfielders, they have a little bit of capital to, to make a deal if they need to. You know, midseason, we don't know what Corbin Burns and Willie Adamas, if they will be traded midseason. Like, there's, there's a lot of mystery there, and it could be for better or worse, but there's a, there, are, there are some options here for this team. So uh, before I get into the rest of the division, g- give me your thoughts on Pat Murphy as this new manager. And, uh, you know, I, I don't think it's going to be seamless, but it certainly seems like the familiar face, the analytics guy that was the confidant of Craig Council. It doesn't seem like it's going to miss a lot of a beat. You know what I mean? Yeah, I I'm not the least bit worried about it. I think, I mean, he's popular with the players and he's been around the game forever. So I, I don't imagine it's going to be a difficult you know, like you said, maybe not seamless, but I think it'll be fine. I don't really put a lot of stock. Stock's probably, I don't mean to put it that way, but like the manager is not as big a deal in baseball as it is in basketball or football. You know, like it's just about managing personalities and occasionally making some decisions about who to pitch, you know, and, and that remains to be seen. But I'm, I'm not worried about Pat Murphy being, being you know, good at that or, or competent at that at the very least. So, um, I, I think it's it's a bummer because I do think Craig Council had something pretty special. Like I think he's as good as anybody in the league. So they lose something there, no matter who fills in. But um, I, I think I think it'll work out. I mean, some remains to be seen, but I, I, I don't expect it's going to be it's going to be a problem. So the loss of Craig Council in Milwaukee, the addition of Craig Council in Chicago, does that make up nine games? Because that's what the Brewers finished above the Cubs last year. I mean, you'll never convince me that a manager's up is worth nine games. That's a lot. I don't think that makes a difference that much of a difference. I I think it could make a difference around the fringes and, and, you know, there might be, you know, maybe he unlocks something in some of these players that they, that they hadn't experienced before. I I don't know. You know, the Cubs have to add people. (laughs) They need to sign Cody Bellinger or they're just not going to be good enough because they weren't, they weren't good enough last year. They, 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 I think they achieved it better than you could have expected with the roster they had. And, and they, you know they're going to have to come close to that again if they want to compete with the Milwaukee Brewers. Could be could be down yeah. the road. You know, I, I, go ahead. Yeah, no, I was just going to say, where are the Reds in all of this? Because the Reds were only a game behind the Cubs. I mean, when the Cardinals fell off dramatically, they were they were twenty what twenty games under five hundred or something like that. They were terrible. But because the Reds were they they were breathing fire for a little while and then they just fell off because they don't have the pitching. Where are the Reds in all of this? If they can find that pitching somewhere, I mean, they're they're extremely dangerous. They're the they're the team to watch, because I mean, remember how great Ellie De La Cruz was. He was 
in my opinion, the fifth best rookie. And I'm not even kidding. The fifth best rookie on that team last year. They are loaded with young talent, especially on offense. And they got a couple possibilities for the pitching staff, but until, you know, until I've seen them figure out the pitching, you can't convince me that they're going to win the division, but they, they are definitely a threat. No doubt. We've, we've reached that point where Cincinnati is scarier than St. Louis and Chicago. I don't, I don't know if that's going to be the case all year or forever or anything like that, but, um, but they have a really exciting young core and that's, that is, that is going to be a problem at some point. Yeah, I, I agree. I, they're amped too, because, uh, all my buddies that uh, live down there, they're, they're excited because finally Cincinnati's coming here in the summer on a weekend, uh, is, and they can come to the game. So they're all geeked up. They want to be a part of that. So that's, they believe that Milwaukee's the team to beat. And that's the only team ahead of them that it's not going to be the Cubs. It's going to be them and the, and the Brewers. So. Uh, I hope it's that way. It'll be fun to watch, but uh, and I hope the Cardinals and the Cubs uh, go down in serious flames. That's <laughs> that's all I care about. <laughs> yeah. Jr. Always good stuff, buddy. I appreciate it, and uh, we'll either talk to you or see you out at spring training for sure. Okay. All right. Sounds good. Talk to you then. All right, buddy. Talk to you later. There you go. Jr. Radcliffe at Jr. Radcliffe over on X Milwaukee Journal Sentinel. He does a Brewers Bucks uh, podcast. Uh, so if you uh, at the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel. So if you can catch his stuff there, they do some really good podcasts on both the Bucks and the Brewers, and he's been doing it for a while there. So good, good stuff. And I, I, he kind of said what Chuck said yesterday. You know, when the Reese Hoskins sign, signing went down, it's, is they've got Pop at first, don't know what they're going to do at third. If they want to go all in, they could probably push those chips to the middle of the table. But is it more pitching or is it more the hitting that is going to get them there? And maybe you see a deal worked out for a, a good young arm that could possibly get into the rotation or jump into the back end of that bullpen in some way, shape, or form. But they've got some they got some really, really good young talent, uh, the Brewers do. So we'll see. We'll see. Uh, 877-867-1670. couple of segments yet to go. Stay right where you're at. More of the Bill Michael Show. It's all coming up next. Ready? This is the Bill Michael Show on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network. places uh sloppy joe's is in hubertus wisconsin which uh you can probably almost see it from holy hill for gosh sakes it's a beautiful beautiful old-fashioned wisconsin bar it's almost like speaking of old-fashioned when you walk through the door it's like you expect an old-fashioned to be sitting on the bar it's just that kind of a cool place and then there's smoke on the water and they continue to bring out like comedy nights music trivia bingo they do so much all the time at smoke on the water in that great big downstairs ballroom that they built and uh, they call it, uh, God, I, I can't remember the name of it. It's like the, uh, oh, God, it's not the, it, it's, a, it's a nautical theme. It's not the underbar. It's something else. Oh, God, it escapes me, and that's terrible. I shouldn't be doing that. But Smoke on the Water on Okachi Lake, right on Wisconsin Avenue, in Okachi, on Okachi. Stop in and say hello. They've got terrific food, all kinds of different uh, seafoods. 
and smoke stuff, barbecue stuff. Uh, they have a huge smoker out front. That smoke on the water, and then there's Sloppy Joe's Saloon and Spoon on Hubertus, in Hubertus, either place. You can't go wrong, either place. Uh, by the way, uh, the Cowboys defensive coordinator, Dan Quinn, interviewing with the Seahawks. He's have uh, his second head coaching interview with the Seahawks today. So Dan Quinn is getting a lot of looks for that Seahawks job. So you've got uh, still uh, Washington, Atlanta, and Seattle are the three jobs that are open at this point. So there you go. Um, the uh, Somebody had uh, put on the, the live stream, and it's passed me by, so I apologize for that, and said 92 wins. Yeah, right. No way. What what would the expectation be? Now, it's still too early because the Brewers, I don't think, are done making moves. But what is the expectation this year? Do you have any? And, and again, this is uh, we're, we're way ahead of ourselves because we're not even into pitchers and catchers reporting yet. But I think, and much like JR just stated, I, I think the Cubs are the third-place team. They didn't bring Craig Council in there to be a third-place team. But unless they upgrade specific areas, I don't and get some additional pitching. I don't think they're going to be uh, a team that's fighting for the top spot. Maybe just it, the the thing is, you get a new manager, somebody with success, you feel like you're ready to go, and that lasts for all of about fifteen games. After that, you're in the grind of a baseball season. Everything affects you, weather. Home life, travel, it's the grind. It's, I guess, how you manage the grind. I understand that because Craig Council is apparently very good at that in some of the moves that he can make. But it's the grind of a baseball season. I don't know how much, and I agree with JR, I don't know how much that adds. I think it's where you really earn your bones is looking at the analytics and putting guys in the best position against the specific pitchers to be successful and pitchers against batters to be successful. That's where where Craig Council embraced that side of baseball. When a lot of others still wanted to push back and say, no, it's a gut thing, it's my call, he was the one that said, no, 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 there, there's something to this, and played it to a fault at times because it drove us nuts. But I don't know what his addition of win totals will be. Three, four, five, maybe? Are they five games better? That means they're breathing down. That means they're, what, 87 wins? So, yeah, they would get better, but they're still not overtaking the 90-win plateau. The Reds, they got a team of ballers, man. They just don't have pitching to go with it. But they were winning some games last year just because they beat the hell out of the baseball and playing at a, at, down at a Great American Ballpark where once that weather, once you start to get the warm breeze coming up from the southwest up that river valley and you get the heat, the ball jumps out of that place. And they got some power hitters. And like JR said, you know, Dela Cruz might not even be the best rookie from last year on that team. They got some guys that can play, but they just don't have the arms. They've got a lot of guys down in Louisville, but I just don't think they have the arms. So anyway, that being said, uh, I still think the Brewers are the team that's going to be vying for the top spot. But I think there's three factors in that. Who is going to be that third guy in the rotation that's really going to is it going to be Wade Miley just with Mr. Consistency? Uh, is it Freddie Peralta that takes his game to the next level? Is Corbin Burns lights out knowing that he's about to, to get paid? Uh, or is it somebody else in the back end uh, of that rotation? Or does that bullpen just get, get crazy? Because if the bullpen really begins to, to, to light it up and starts to slam the door after seven innings, 
you know, it, because you can have Uribe, uh, who can come in and light it up for seven, you know, in, in inning seven or eight. You still have Piamps, who was solid. And then Williams, do we go back to when the Brewers were solid with Hayter and Devin Williams and such in the back end of that bullpen when you just basically needed to get it through six innings and you were going to win the game? And maybe that's where the Brewers' strength actually is going to lie. So, but it's also going to depend on the Brewers and that offense. They've got a little pop at first base. Christian Yelich had a bounce back season last year. Now you're looking for more out of South Freelich. You're looking for the same power numbers out of Willie Adamas. You're looking for a full season, a better season out of Garrett Mitchell, who went down with that shoulder injury, came back and played well, but just wasn't ready to go into the postseason, so to speak. And then they, they remember they kept Jesse Winker as opposed to him, and it, that drove me nuts. But anyway, that being said, but I'm not uh, a fan of Montessario playing third base, you know. Um, Yelich is most likely going to be left in DH, probably more DH than anything. Um, and and then we talked a little bit about Jackson Cheerio. You still have Joey Weimer, but Joey Weimer, until he gets his swing right, man, he is uh, an offensive liability. Great defense. I mean, tremendous defense, but an offensive liability. But you've got options. You've got you've got some nice options right now on that team. So uh, excited about the Brewers. I still think. I don't know if I'm going to pick them to win 92, but I still think 90 would not be out of the realm of possibility. And and then, obviously, injury plays a part of this. And last year, I don't know how many they used, like 41 players, I think is what I read. They always use far more than what you have on the opening day roster. But uh, let's just, you know, knock on wood that they don't have a lot of those nagging injuries that tend to take guys down for more than, you know, a, a week, so to speak. So, anyway. Um, we'll get back into some brewer. We'll get back. You know what? We'll do a lot of what do we miss? We'll do that when we come back. Cause we, uh, we have talked a lot today. We talked Bucks basketball today, hearing John horse today. We talked a lot about the Packers today, talked some baseball today. We've covered a lot, a lot today. So stay right where you're at. Got a whole lot more. Another segment. What do we miss? What do we miss? What do you miss today? Stay tuned. More of the Bill Michael show. It's all. This is the Bill Michael show on the Wisconsin sports zone radio network. I know uh, it's that time of year when you say, no, I'm looking at my uh, garage, and I've never had the garage floor done. The basement, the gym, I had that floor done, but not the garage, and I'm thinking about getting that done because you're pulling your car in and out, you're looking at all the salt and the sand and the and the dirt, and, yeah, it's nasty. And, uh, and you can try to scrub it up, and you just can't, but if you have an epoxy floor, it sweeps right up, sweeps right up and washes right off. And I've been thinking of that, and I've been thinking about calling my buddy Sean, who can uh, from Green Bay to Milwaukee, Madison, everywhere in between. He does it, and they they're right here in Wisconsin. So if you have a problem with it, they can come right back and do it, and they're here, so you can reach them. A lot of the companies that uh, are doing these things now are coming in from out of town, and they're coming in from out of state. Which means if you have a problem, they can just say, "Tough, I've got your money. Nothing you can do." You know. Were epoxy flooring done right? They've they've done mine, and I know they've done a lot of people in my neighborhood. Uh, so when they did mine, uh, people saw them do it uh, and saw the video and stuff that I put out. And uh, they think they picked up three or four jobs in this neighborhood alone. But epoxy flooring done right. Epoxyflooringdoneright.com. Check it out. 262-443-2852. 262-443-2852. 
52. Get a hold of uh, Sean over there at epoxyflooringdoneright.com. Epoxyflooringdoneright.com. Grant Bills, what do we miss? Well, we've been bouncing back and forth to this and that. I don't know that we missed anything huge. One little tidbit that I bookmarked last night, and I sent this to you too. I don't think that this is the biggest headline or the biggest thing in the world, but our friend, Pete Bukowski, who comes on the show, Pete's Mm -hmm. not on the Packers beat directly, but Pete's pretty connected. He's worked at a lot of different places. He knows a lot of different people. And he writes with, uh, uh, what is it, J.B. Hirschheiser, Hirschhorn? I'm sorry, J.B., I can't remember exactly your last name, but he reported at The Leap last night that there is multiple sources that have told him that Green Bay is behind with treatment of injuries. Right? They're not as adaptive and modern with some other franchises. So Peter has talked to people, and he's reporting it now, that are close to the Packers that say, yeah, they need a little bit of an update, which makes sense. Matt LaFleur let the strength and conditioning coach go. That's kind of a sneaky, underrated thing that happened this week. I know we're all focused on the defensive coordinator, but that could potentially be a really big thing for the Packers this offseason, especially with all the soft tissue injuries they've right. had. That would be – and I remember when Mike McCarthy went through this at one point, and then he changed, you know, the strength and conditioning coach and such. And then before you know it, uh, suddenly they had a season in which they were pretty healthy. I mean, they were one of the least banged up teams, least games lost per player. And they they went far. They, uh, they did extremely well. And even like the year that they won the Super Bowl, they were the problem was they had all the injuries were like at the linebacker position. And they just kept going through linebackers. But for the most part, the team was pretty healthy. And that was part of what got him there. So, yeah, if you can stop it. The, the soft tissue stuff is what absolutely drives you nuts mm-hmm. because you just never know. And those things linger, man. They linger forever. So, uh, so there you go. So uh, what else do we got? Something else, and this is probably going to bum some Packers fans out, Ijiro Avero, who's probably my favorite defensive coordinator candidate of the list that we know and the guys we've talked about, probably going to mm-hmm. stay in Carolina because they brought in Dave Canales today to be their head coach, yeah. the offensive coordinator from Tampa, and they would probably block a lateral move from Avero. So they're going to want to keep yeah. him. So going from D.C. in Carolina to D.C. in Green Bay, probably not possible. So you can cross him off the list. Yeah, I kind of thought that was going to happen, and uh, they're talking about uh, – boy, did you see Canales on the uh, radar? I mean, I – maybe – but this is always how this works, right, is we think Belichick, Vrabel, Harbaugh, and then – you know, Brian Callahan, who sounds like, is that the name from Tommy Boy, by the way? Isn't that, isn't it Callahan Brake Pads? <laughs> yeah, like, I had to I look him up. So. I was like, okay. So he's with the Bengals. And we, we always have these guys you don't expect. I mean, he had a great season with the Bucks and Baker. I get it. Yeah. Right. Yeah, well, they're looking for somebody to help Bryce Young. Uh, they, they need it big time. So, um, yeah, they are... Uh, they, they are in need of elevating his level of play. He did not have a great season. Matter of fact, his best game was against the Packers, unfortunately. Yeah. So. His basically only good game was against the Packers. And uh, last thing for Bucks fans that care about this, I really don't. But when you consider now the money going to Doc Rivers, the money for Adrian Griffin, and the end of Mike Budenholzer's contract, the Bucks are paying around $18 million for coaches, coaches yeah. this season. Uh, not my money. Jimmy Haslam's got plenty right. of it. He can pay, but just right. a number in case anyone was curious. Yeah, he'll put uh, he'll put change, uh, you know, turnstiles on the toilet doors at the Flying J, so he can pay for it. Um, real quick, two things uh, coming up uh, tomorrow. We've got uh, who do we got? We got Mike Clements tomorrow, obviously. Tyler Dunn of GoLongTD.com. Pete Doherty, uh, Jennifer Hammond from Fox Two, and does the Lions pregame. 
We're going to talk with her about this Lions team and about Lions fandomonium and about how they're doing over there because my assumption would be if uh, they can get a ticket in San Francisco, the last person out of Detroit, turn off the lights. It, you know, it, it'll be mayhem, and uh, the Detroit uh, Lions fans are going to try to follow. Uh, and like I said, Mike Clemens in the last hour uh, tomorrow as well. Here's one other thing that I saw today, and I was, like, blown away. So there is a story, and it was redone. It was on Variety, and I saw a couple other places that posted. Millennials are re-watching Seinfeld and some of the sitcoms from the late 80s, early 90s. Uh, and they are saying Seinfeld, uh, Cheers. They're looking at uh, programs like uh, Friends. They're finding it to be incredibly offensive. <laughs> and I thought, are you kidding me? you got to send this to me. Yeah. Are you kidding me? It's, it's incredibly offensive, they're saying. Yeah. Incredibly offensive. I thought, oh, boy. Has anybody gone back? I'm just throwing it out there. If you really want to find something to be like palm to forehead, go back and watch All in the Family. You want to be offended? That'll give you something to be offended by. You can't help but laugh, but you're like, how in the hell was that on TV? Not in today's day and age it wouldn't be, but I get it. It was masterful, but I get it. You want to be offended? Go back and watch that. All right, that's it. That'll do it. Good stuff today. Good stuff on a fr- on a Thursday. Friday coming up tomorrow, 20 hours from now. Time for us to go. Have a good one. Till we talk again. Soup.